Well, we've finished our series on Psalm 112, but uh, I'm hoping that you haven't finished reading it and studying it, meditating upon it, because it's such a vital passage of Scripture. But we're going to move on today to this uh, 27th Psalm, Psalm 27, look at some truths in here. Um, It's a wonderful Psalm, it's a powerful Psalm. And in fact, let's just read the first, the first verse, which is very vital to us, um, to see what it says. Because it's this I really want to focus on, and if you, if you just think about the hymn I've just sang. Um, Stayed upon Jehovah, hearts are fully blessed, finding in him perfect peace and rest. And that's what we need at this time. The Lord is my light, verse 1 says of Psalm 27, and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Now the psalmist here, which is David, a psalm of David, he's boasting. He's boasting that he has a place and a person that means he need not fear. And that's our boast too, because Psalm 27 is in our Bibles, and it's as much ours as it is David's. Amen? And then it says... The Lord is the strength of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? Now, we never get cocky in our faith in the sense of we get arrogant and conceited, but we can be bold and confident in God. And it's saying here, the Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? What he's saying is, if you are related to the Lord, if you are in Christ, if you are a Christian, if you are a believer, if you are a follower of Jesus and you are connected to him, then you have nothing to fear. Now that might be quite a bold statement when you look at this world that we live in. And there have been many times in our nation's history that there have been good causes to fear if fear was going to be something that you would engage in. But we need to understand that being a Christian means that we need not ever engage in fear. Now that's quite a bold statement, but it's not based on how strong we are, it's based on how strong he is. He is our light. He is our salvation. You need never fear the darkness when you're standing in the light. You know, we all grow up and and it's a famous uh, or a well-known thing that people are afraid of the dark, even adults. Even adults sometimes sleep with their light on because they're scared of the dark. Uh, and, and being scared of the dark, or the darkness, is proof in a sense that you have fear in you. But the Bible says here, you don't need to fear, because the Lord is your light and your salvation. And he's the strength of our life. So whom, who are we going to fear then, if God is in that position, place, and relationship with us? If God be for us, who can be against us? And we need to start believing these words and verses like that that says over in Hebrews, the Lord is my helper. I won't be afraid of what man can do to me. And so we should never be afraid of what man can do. We should certainly never be afraid of what the devil can do or wants to do. And so living in fear is not our portion. Amen. It says here, verse 2, when the wicked, even mine enemies and my foes, Now, this is the thing about being a Christian. 
Now, in life, you're going to find enemies. People are not going to like you. You're going to fall out with you. Sometimes it might be your fault. Sometimes it might be their fault. In my case, it's never my fault. <laughs> Amen? It's always somebody else's fault. Um, but whatever, you understand, you're going to have enemies. You're going to have foes. People just don't like the cut of your jib. They don't like the way you look. They don't like the way you talk. And, I mean, Jesus had enemies. You know, and he was, he was a friend to sinners. But he had enemies. So having enemies is part of life. And as a Christian, you, people will oppose you. I've had that happen to me this week. Uh, people ha had a right good go at me about something. And I didn't even, I wasn't even talking to them. But people will jump in because people will not like the stand that you take. People will not like some of the statements that you make. But it's their choice to be enemies. You know, the Bible says, the man of God shall not strive. Which really means, uh, the man of God shall not get into physical fisticuffs. And let me tell you, as a pastor, that's one of the hardest things. <laughs> because very often you think, this could be solved without words. <laughs> And, and, and is this what you mean, Lord, by the laying on of hands? <laughs> but it's not, okay? So, so you know, but, but this is the thing. We have enemies, and it says, and, and one of the things that we have to understand is that if you live right with God and you live, and you keep yourself, you know, clear of strife and anger and all that, your enemies will still come. And sometimes they'll see you turning the other cheek or not resisting or not fighting back or getting into a slanging match, they'll see that as weakness. And it says, when the wicked, even my enemies, my foes, came upon me to eat up my flesh, that they're not playing games. Now, we don't live in a country yet where we are being persecuted in that way, like some of these dear souls in Afghanistan recently who are Christians and Apparently, the Taliban went after them and some of them were martyred, we're told, um, because they wouldn't back down. Some of the children said, we're not going to, we're staying with our parents. So we, we're not at that level yet, but we have been in Scotland. I know we, we talk about it a lot, but, you know, the man whose name is on the street up there, on the street sign, was martyred just along the road, just outside the Royal Infirmary, at the A&E's place, round about there, just for going to meetings. <coughs> he wasn't a leader in the Covenanters, he wasn't a preacher, he wasn't a, 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 a Cameron or a Welsh or any of these guys, he just went to meetings. And for that he was martyred, he was hung. And it's not that bad yet, but as we look along the road at Holyrood, we think, well, we could get there soon. And make no mistake, and listen, we're not... And, and I, I felt the Lord wanted me to say this today, so I will say it. We are not, as Christians, or here in this place, we are not anti-government. I would say that we are more pro-government than anybody else, because we're Christians. We believe in law and order. We believe that God has uh, put governments into place to, to, to rule and govern us wisely and righteously. But that's the key. It has to be a righteous government. Because... In politics, wicked people get into power. Or also, 
maybe it's not so much now, but certainly was, good people get into power. Because they go in with noble motives and ideas, but they get corrupted by politics itself. So, sadly, sometimes Christians find themselves that their enemies and their foes are the government. And we've had that, sadly, and we're big supporters in this place of the monarchy, of the throne, of the nation. But, you know, we've had wretches on that throne. And covenant breakers, Charles II, and the killing times is all because he decided to abrogate his covenant with the covenanters and start persecuting them and killing them. So governments can be our foes and our enemies, but we don't pick that fight, they do. And it's the same with you, I'm quite sure. You, if you have enemies in your life, you didn't start it, they probably did, because I know you're all so, um, you know, so wonderful people. And you never fight or fuss, amen. But that's what happens, isn't it? We see that people, and then it says, when the wicked, my, my enemies, my foes, came upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. They stumbled and fell. Why? Because they were reaping what they're trying to sow. They're trying to bring you down, and this, you know, people call it karma, I don't like that word, but people understand it, but the Bible calls it seed time and harvest, or sowing and reaping. What you sow, and the Bible says, be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. So what you give out will come back to you. But as Jesus says, it's coming back, good measure, pressed down, shaken together. And when you sow a seed, remember, seeds multiply. So that's very often why we say, you sow to the wind, but you reap the whirlwind. So if you're going to sow stuff, sow good stuff. When when your enemies curse you, that's the time to bless them. They say, Lord bless you. I'm not going because what I give to you will come back to me. In fact, you start cursing as well, then that's what you're going to reap. And the good reason, another good reason, and this is a wee secret I'm going to share with you. If your enemies rail against you and you bless them, God is the umpire. And he looks down and says, Well, you're cursing them, but they're blessing you. So you get God in your side. Amen. And in any fight, you want God on your side. And your enemies will stumble and fall. And we don't take pleasure in that. We don't rejoice when we see our enemies. We rejoice sometimes when we think, well, God has vindicated me. But nobody wants to see people uh, get into you know, horrible situations. But, but understand that, that judgment, what we call judgment, is very often people reaping the seeds that they've sown. So, so good seeds, folks. Then it says, though an host should encamp against me, uh, or an army, an army should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Okay, sometimes it seems that our enemies are so numerous, or what we're facing is so numerous and, and massive in scale, but it says, my heart shall not fear. And remember what it says in the 23rd Psalm, the Lord's my shepherd, then it says, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. My heart shall not fear. 
Though war should rise against me, in this will I be confident. What will you be confident in? Remember, this is David speaking, but we can take these words and speak them. And we should be taking these words and speaking them. One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after. Now, he's talking there about being confident. And he's talking about if an army comes against him, his heart shall not fear. Then he switches over to something, which I want to show you today, brothers and sisters. One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Now, is it really that simple? To say that if you want to live a fear-free life, if you want to live a life of blessing, if you want to live a life of protection, if you want to live a life where no matter who comes against you, you can be confident and strong. Is it really that simple to say that the answer is to stay in the house of the Lord? See, a lot of people during this pandemic, or plandemic as some people are calling it, all the hassle, all the terrible things that have taken place in the earth the last 18, 20 months. A lot of people said, and, and, and we, not here, praise God, not here. But a lot of churches, I'm here, I had a pastor told me the other day he's down two thirds of his congregation. Only a third of what he had before is coming now. Because people said, oh, I'm not going back to church. Whatever the reasons. It might be, oh, I'm scared to get a virus. Or, you know, I get so used to sitting uh, on Zoom meetings online in my jammies. And I would far rather sit in my jammies, in my baffies, with a cup of tea or a coffee and a croissant and do church online. And how they get up and get to that church and see all those sore faces? No thanks. Again, that's not here. Amen. But a lot of people, and you know, I'll tell you a story. When it all started last year, and there was, um, there was all these Zoom meetings. The Zoom meetings are just meetings online, where everybody's on this, their, their screen or their phone or their laptop, and all these, the bank of faces. Um, and when the church was locked down last year, these Zoom meetings just took off, boom. And everybody was on Zoom, and they said, oh, this is great, people are going on Zoom, they haven't been to church. This is wonderful, this is a revitalization of church. This is the new way to do church. Six weeks it took. Six weeks it took. And pastors were pulling their hair out because they discovered two things. They were paying their collection. <laughs> well... <laughs> Amen. But they actually were. And that's why they were, oh, well, they're sending it in, they're mailing it in, they're paying bank transfer. That's what is wonderful. We don't even need to put the lights on. Six weeks it took. And they discovered that, I don't remember the exact things, but something like 70% of the people who started off on the churches, I mean, 70% as an average figure, were still on Zoom, still going to Zoom meetings, online, six weeks later. But to churches other than their own. So pastors are saying, oh, this is great, we're getting all these people. Six weeks, that's all it took. Remember reading it from the, the, the George Barner um, 
research people. And um, six weeks, and it, so pastors were losing people. And then, of course, there was a massive decline. People weren't even bothering with Zoom anymore. So, Zoom is not the house of the Lord, brothers and sisters. And, you know, we, we get people asking, especially our Saturday morning meeting, can we live stream it? Now, I have nothing against live streaming because it means that people in Australia, New Zealand, Mexico, all over the world can see live what you're, you're doing. But there's something about because what that's great if all these people are tuning in from Africa, Asia. But what if it encourages the people that live in Bishop Briggs or Germiston or you know Blantyre? You know what? I can't be bargain. I'll just watch it on. So instead of having our numbers, we've only got only half or a third. There's something about the house of the Lord, brothers and sisters. Now, I'm not saying the church is the house of the Lord. The Bible says we are. But as we meet together, we are the house of the Lord. One thing have I desired of the Lord. That will I seek after, he says. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. The importance of meeting for church. And I need to say it. That's why they try to shut it down. That's why they try to shut, shut us down. And, and praise God for those. And I was asked to join it as the pastor here. I was asked to join the, the legal challenge to the, the Scottish government shutting it down. And if, if, to my shame, I, didn't, I said, no, I'll, I'll not bother because I didn't think it would happen. But they have won victories in the courts who have ruled that it's illegal to shut churches down even in the COVID pandemic. So praise God, we're, we're hoping that'll not happen. Um, again, we're believing for that. But there's something about being the house of the Lord. Something about meeting together. You know, the think about Britain in, in its heyday. Think about Scotland when it was a strong country. The churches were packed in the Lord's Day morning and at other times. Think of all those gospel halls. I remember Alec Gillis telling me that, you know, he, he had... In Govan alone, he had done a, a wee study and found out, and as we all know, there are pubs everywhere in Glasgow or where at one stage. This is a while back. But if you counted up all the gospel halls and all the pubs, there were more gospel halls than pubs. Isn't that a wonderful truth? Where are they now? Where are those gospel halls now? Some of them might even be pubs. You understand? We've lost that culture. We've lost that... Um, churches, gospel halls thank God there are still many but not nearly as many as there were nor are there as many believers and it has to be said nor are there as many fervent believers and committed Christians anyway one thing have I desired that I, of the Lord that I, will I seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple to behold his beauty. You see, how do you behold his beauty? Here it is. When we gather together, when we preach his word, when we praise his name, we are beholding the beauty of the Lord in his house, in his tent. And you say, well, sometimes he's born. Thankfully, obviously not here. When I'm preaching, or when our dear brothers are playing, but some churches can be born. Am I right? 
But I tell you this, and I want to say this, and I discovered this. A lot of churches I used to go to, and I think, found them quite boring, if I'm being honest. Not much happening. Not much. Oh boy, do I long for those days. Because many of those churches will never open again. Or have closed down. So even the stuff that we found, we felt, well, this is a wee bit boring, it's not as exciting as I'd like it to be. Would that those places were still with us today. Boring and all. Amen? And I don't say they were boring, maybe it's just because I was a, a thrill seeker maybe. But you understand? Think about those churches that you think, oh, that was, wasn't much happening there, but it's closed. Wouldn't it be better if it was open? Because all it would need is a wee bit of, you know, life. But to be closed forever and become a restaurant or a flat, a bunch of flats. Anyway. But he says here, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. And here's what he says, from the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion and the secret of his tabernacle shall ye hide me. There's a sense, brothers and sisters, with that very desperate world out there, with that world of danger out there, that being here in the house of God, or being in church, not just this church, but other churches, being in church, but, but we relate to it being here. There's a sense in which God is hiding us here, and protecting us here, and preparing us here, and feeding us here, and giving us fellowship with people here. Amen? Do you leave here this Sunday going, oh, that was rubbish? Or do you leave here saying, you know, it was good today? The preaching was great. The fellowship was great. The food was wonderful. Because here is where the action is from God's point of view. I'm not bigging up our church or, or, or hyping things up, you know, but I'm trying to say that in God's purpose, church, his building, his temple, his house, is where he brings us together to build strength into us so that we don't fear that horrible world out there. Okay, now, we've lived through terrible times in Britain, Second World War, First World War, all that. Um, but this, what's happened in recent times, is a whole new level of, of darkness. Because, you know, in a sense, and I, I didn't live through the war, but I've spoken often to people who did. But you knew who the enemy was. The enemy was over there. And you, you, when I was a boy growing up, the Second World War was still a big thing. So you had your sojis, remember your sojis? And you had action men, and, and the enemy was always the Jerry's. Amen? Or the Nazis more than the Jerry's, right? But, but anyway, it didn't really matter. If you're a boy, you don't care, right? Um, but she, the enemy was easily identified, and it was an external, and, and they didn't live in Britain. They were Nazis, they were Jerry's, they were Japs, or whatever else, right? A lot of it's very racist now, okay? But we have a better understanding, and we've moved on from that. We don't think that way about Germans, or Japanese, or, or the Italians, and all that. We don't think about our enemies that way. We don't have those thoughts towards them. And worse, does that stirs up those passions and stuff. But today we have a different enemy. Change. <laughs> yeah. Today we have a different enemy. A different enemy. And they're not all external. Some of our enemies are in our own family. Some of our enemies are, and I'm not saying that applies to everybody, but I'm saying 
people who are hostile to the gospel. And there's a lot more of that around than there ever was, isn't there? I was saying that the other day. When I was a boy, people had respect for ministers. They had respect for religion, they had respect for churches. You know, and even if you were brought up in a completely proddy family, you know, and an orange family or whatever, you would not dream of being disrespectful to a chapel, to a priest, to a nun. You would not dream of that. And your parents would, would be a, a right good clip around the lug. You're not allowed to do that anymore. But that's the whole point. Because there was respect, even when you didn't respect somebody's religion, shall we call it, you would respect their right to have it. So you wouldn't do disrespectful things. Okay, I'll put my hand up. We used to have a wee monastery near where I lived, down at the Clyde, Greyfriars, Davy will know it well. And I used to get in debate with the monks. And I would be, you know, giving them an uh, Ian Paisley message of, you know, justification by faith and grace. And they would be, you know, and they were always nice. And, well, I got on well with them. But I'll be honest, when they weren't there, I would get the candles and suit the faces of all the statues. So they would all be black. So, and it wasn't, I didn't have, it wasn't hatred, it wasn't. I just did it for fun. I did it for mischief, okay? Which I know is hard to believe. But that was, that was the extent of it because I actually quite enjoyed looking down and I enjoyed, you know, sitting there. It was very peaceful and so on. And also talking to the monks. But the point I'm trying to say is that reverence for the things of God that you would even extend to other faiths, other religions, things that were a wee bit dodgy. But society doesn't have that now. Which is why we get people walking by here, shouting in, uh, daubing the place with graffiti, plastering IRA stickers on the doors. And it's, it's, it's not right. Because we have substituted in recent years fear of everything else for the fear of God. That's the problem. So we live in a society where people are afraid of a virus. It's no longer that external enemy. We are scared of something we can't see. And we're scared of other things like food shortages, petrol shortages, more lockdowns. Things that haven't even happened yet. So we're riddled with fear as a society. But sadly, it's not the fear of the Lord. It's not the fear of God. And that's what we need to pray for, folks. That's why I urge you to pray for the greatest gift you can give anybody is the fear of the Lord. Because you don't need to evangelise, you don't need to preach when someone fears God. They're racing through those doors to find out how to know Him. And so we need that back. We had it. That's, if you read about the Lewis revival, that's what was happening. So in the time of trouble, we are here in the secret place of God. He hides us here in church, in his temple. He shall set me up upon a rock, and now shall mine head be lifted up above my enemies round about me. Therefore will I offer in his tabernacle sacrifices of joy. We're running out of time, so I'm going to leave it there. The point being this. God is here linking. Being in the house of God, being in church, we would call it in this New Testament era, with being a place of safety, 
a place of faith, a place of protection, a place where others, when you need prayer, when, when, when it's happy times, such as Patricia's going to have next week, and her, her daughter, when it's desperately sad times, which David will know tomorrow, and, and we've experienced recently. We all get through these things in life. Good, bad, terrible, wonderful. But whatever we go through, we go through because the Lord is our light and our, our salvation. He is the strength of our life. But I want to say this to you. This psalm makes it very clear that that light, that salvation, that strength is not found in being a lone ranger, do it yourself, I'm on my own, I don't like church, I don't like the people in church, Christian. <coughs> Nobody succeeds doing that. It's found in fellowship. It's found in communion. It's found in a community. It's found, brothers and sisters, in the house of the Lord, which we would say it's found in church. So, that's not a plug, oh, please keep coming to church, because I know I'm speaking to folks that do that. But it's a reminder that here is where all these wonderful blessings God gives and manifests to us. The Lord bless you. Amen. Well, let's close us.